I was thinking about how we met at the hub, mm. and the hub is this uh, co-working space in Zurich, one of the first, I think, in Zurich, maybe in Switzerland. And uh, they created, they started to be, uh, they started out being a co-working space, and they're trying to help entrepreneurs and foster the entrepreneurial community. And I remember when I met you, I thought this guy is the prototypical startup entrepreneur guy, because you have an A-type personality. You're very outgoing. You have a lot of energy and you get very excited. And I was like, this is it. This is the guy who I should be if I want to be an entrepreneur. And as I went on my little entrepreneurial journey, I realized that I'm so not that guy. <laughs> and it didn't work. It didn't work for me in that particular mm-hmm. venture, which we're going to, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But you were part of this thing called Urban Farmers, which was... One of the, and it also didn't work. <laughs> which also didn't work. We're going to get to that too, yeah. But it was one of the few things at the hub that was really taking off and becoming a, a real proper business. True. So how did it start? Where did you begin the uh, the urban farmer's journey? Right. So um, as you said, I started urban farmers out of uh, the Impact Hub in Zurich, 2010. So mm-hmm. almost 10 years ago now. Um, with the... Um, uh, the big idea to grow food in cities mm-hmm. and to start populate uh, what we call rooftop farms. So where we would have um, empty rooftops where we would build greenhouses and we would actually put in aquaculture and hydroponic uh, methods to grow fish and vegetables in a closed loop. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, when we started on, on this journey, um, I think everybody recognizes it's a crazy idea, right? It's a crazy <laughs> idea to grow food in cities at large scale and you know do yeah. it commercially. Um, and I think um, it was an ideal moment to start um, at the Impact Hub with a big idea, a big crazy idea, where people saw potential and also recognized the, uh, let's say, the sustainability aspect of, mm-hmm. of what, and the impact of what this could, could do. And... Um, and I think it was a looking back, it was a unique moment of time and place to mm-hmm. start this this project. Um, I always uh, said to friends um, that um, I think the idea found me rather than I found the idea. Mm-hmm. And at times it almost felt like a fly, always going back to your shoulder, you know, like yeah. you know, sitting on your on your forehead and you, you brush it away, and then the the next second it's back again on your on 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 your back. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea started keeping coming back. Always was like resonating again. You know, here I am. You know, pick me up. And then I was very fortunate, of course, to also have the opportunity to work on it mm-hmm. a few months and having it validated very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that was really something that gave me a lot of confidence to start it up and to really launch it full time. Then, mm-hmm. uh, 2011, when we officially incorporated. And what were you doing when the idea arrived? What was your life like at the time? Right. I mean, I had an ordinary corporate life. I was working. Uh, I was working in a job in the U.S. And and as you know, I think the U.S. for me also is probably was the right type of um, environment to be exposed to mm-hmm. in order to get this idea born. In a way, you know, it wouldn't have been born, I guess, here in Switzerland, because it was a time where um, just after financial crisis. Uh, people did realize, you know, with Occupy Wall Street and whatnot, that we need a different system and we need something to change. And that urgency very much was part of the, let's say, the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started working on the idea, I think 
despite people saying it's crazy and sounds like really audacious, it was resonating with people. Yeah, that yeah. was interesting. Mm -hmm. And do you remember the moment when the idea came for the first time? Yes, I do very clearly because it was so, um, I mean, it's, what should I say? It's such a, um, I have to tell you the story. I mean, um, I was sitting in the, in the, in a, in a, Please tell me you were sitting on the toilet. <laughs> uh, Second no. place in the shower, maybe in the shower. It wasn't that simple. Okay. Um, I was actually uh, bringing my potter plants over to my friend Jason, who mm -hmm. uh, was our neighbor in Nashville, where we um, had good uh, friendship, and uh, brought the plants over because we we're moving back to the to to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And in the car, while he's driving and I'm sitting next to him, I'm asking him, um, Jason, what kind of new technologies, things would you see that I could bring over from the States and, and launch in Switzerland in the area of, you know, clean tech and sustainability, mm. because I felt that was something I wanted to work on. And Jason just mentions while driving that he saw these dudes and heard about uh, a technology called aquaponics where in mm -hmm. Detroit and Milwaukee and uh, the, the Motowns, people would, um, would start up urban food production. And it would be sustainable and, you know, close to people and everything. And I realized I just picked up those buzzwords. Uh, couldn't make much out of it, but, you know, stuck mm -hmm. in my head. And then the week next when I was back in Switzerland, a friend of mine who um, uh, subscribed to a startup weekend couldn't make it and told me I should go on his behalf. Mm -hmm. He said, Roman, you have now time. Just came back from the States. Why didn't you go for me? And that was really the first... Um, come to Jesus moment when I shared the idea with mm -hmm. a wider group of people that I would uh, want to work on growing food in cities. And um, that was the first aha moment where I saw how many people would relate, relate to mm -hmm. this idea. Then it resonated, the idea? Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I still remember when I pitched it for the first time on that opening day of Startup Weekend, I think I had 10 or 15 people immediately join me on the table and say, hey, this is great, I want to mm -hmm. participate. Mm -hmm. I'm still in contact with some of those um, friends actually now. And it's amazing to see how that was the first nucleus of how this all started. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's just started with conversations. Yeah. I love that. It, it, you're right. It, the idea did come to you like a fly landing on your shoulder or, you know, a shooting star in the sky. And I think we often forget that these inspirations come to us without even trying, usually. And it's not a question of will you find inspiration, it's what will you do with it once you have it. And sometimes the universe really aligns. I mean, I'm not a big universe woo-woo kind of guy, but for a friend to have an empty space or to give you their spot in a startup weekend, that's pretty serendipitous. Yes. Serendipity is a great word for me, I think. Yeah. And I think it's underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, as you said, there is a, I'm also not the... Let's say, you know, the universe, the universe type, as you say, but I do believe that there are certain, certain ideas just knock on our, on our doors. And, um, it's, um, we're the carrier, we're the vessel more mm -hmm. of than the actual, the, you know, the originator of the, of yeah. the idea. And, um, it's what we make out of it that, uh, turns it into reality. And more often than not, I think listening is is super important to to um, to pick those ideas up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listening to the world around you. Yeah. And so you're at the startup weekend, and you get a little tiny bit of traction, 
And what happens next? So after the Startup Weekend, I was pitching on Sunday, Startup Weekend, and then I met Christoph, who was the founder at Impact Top at the time. He said, you are the archetypical entrepreneur. I know. know. Social impact and, you know, ready to scale and, you know, do something great with a big idea that we would want to bring over into the co-working space and into Impact Hub. And when I started as a, let's say, this guinea pig social entrepreneur, mm -hmm. I was, as you said, also like very quickly passed around as this, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, guinea pig, I call it, for, for social entrepreneurs or impact, you know, purpose-driven uh, uh, companies. And I realized that that's, a good spot to be in because it gives me visibility and reach mm -hmm. but it's also uh, a very um, it's a job right it creates yeah. demand but it also has to be nurtured mm -hmm. and um, so when I started to become then a, the first impact hub fellow by WWF who which awarded this climate uh, change fellowship and then uh, won a series of prizes and awards you know and I started to have a TED talk the next year mm -hmm. TEDx Zurich mm -hmm. that was really the next stepping stone where the idea got a lot more reach mm -hmm. and and validation I would say mm -hmm. and at that time we were already incorporating and we had I think uh, we just raised um, about 80,000 francs just from these various Mm -hmm. you know prizes and stuff yeah. it started to feel very good and we started to to think it could be really a good business mm -hmm. um, we had some traction with you know these container farms which we were doing so it started right. to really show in reality very quickly and it was very satisfying I must yeah. say that was a really good period how long was that period uh, 12 months yeah because when I met you the the container farm the farm hydroponic system in a shipping container was was there and it was like the it was the thing like look at this they created this thing and this is going to be the future of growing food in cities everywhere so how did you get to the container demonstration um very quickly by just by just doing it i mean mm -hmm. we saw container farms out in the web uh, as prototypes or let's say drafts or uh, visuals and mm -hmm. we knew that by doing it uh, we would we would have a first proof of concept yeah and um i mean that were probably my entrepreneurial gear really kicked in i said you know let's get this done you know what's a container we'll ship it over from hamburg we'll retrofit it with mm -hmm. the aquaponics system you know we started to plant the first seeds and we had we had um, an amazing location out in the impact hub you know looking over the mm -hmm. you know the train station right. and right um, next to the main station exactly and you know this this other club where you know i i remember i used to water the plants in the morning and um uh, Sunday mornings, you would see people just leaving the club at, yeah, right. <laughs> at eight o'clock. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, no, I mean that was just executional element part of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, where I think we 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 did really well by just executing and starting to yeah. work against the vision. Mm -hmm. um, still, I re I recall that part to be the relatively easy part, right? To mm -hmm. just do it, yeah. execute it. I think the more difficult part was always to narrate it in a way that people would not only find it um, great or attractive, but also to actually believe in it, right? That was a big, right. the messaging part was a big part of the job. And you had a bigger vision that you were working towards that even I didn't get, when I first met you, you were the container farm guy. And I thought, oh, urban farmers, they make farms in these containers. So that's interesting. doesn't really affect me, but okay. But you had this vision and it was just a stepping stone. 
a proof of concept, as yes. you say. So that's something, that's one of the ways I realized that I'm not such a great entrepreneur was because I, t- I tended to look at things as how they are and accept them for that. You are the container farm guy. Mm. But of course, you had this grander vision, which eventually you fulfilled in many ways. And I always found that interesting that you knew where you were going, but you had this this thing that everybody knew you for. Yes. So that's where I would say, yes, that's definitely my uh, added value. So the ad- idea landed on me pretty much within you know serendipity mm-hmm. and a moment of yeah finding something exciting and 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 big mm-hmm. and then i think to shape it and to create a vision for it but then also to create some momentum in terms of reality yeah you know kicking in and creating a proof of concept in the first installation of whatever it is that you believe in that shows that it's real and it's yeah you know it's manifested i mm-hmm. think that's really something um uh, that is part of the DNA of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you're probably then more on the, you came across that uh, more as a, from a conceptual side. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this, of course, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we need to create shit and, you know, create <laughs> reality in a yeah. way. But I mean, um, that's just one part of the skill set that makes it work, right? The other part is conceiving it, designing yes. it, developing right. it uh, narrating it right. where i think you you're you're definitely that's that's probably your forte that's probably your skill set then yes well. i think so i'm i'm a bit more of a storyteller yeah. and the conceptual organizer and yeah. executor guy thinker yeah a bit yeah yeah but so along the way you had to actually build this technical thing so how did you bring in the technical expertise because you're not an engineer so where did that come from? Correct. So um, I was very fortunate uh, to be quickly um, uh, to have met my co-founder in this business that uh, brought in all the technical aspects, all the technical capabilities and the knowledge to engineer mm-hmm. um, these systems based on the fact that he was a scientist and has worked in, in this field for already 10 years before I met him. So it was very ideal also to find that co-founder. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously I wouldn't have been able to um, to deliver the, the 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 message without that competency on board mm-hmm. and i personally didn't have that competency i was a, a business guy mm-hmm. um and that was very valuable how and did I, you meet him i i um i called called him up during the start startup weekend okay i literally called him on saturday evening saying this is uh we're working here on a startup weekend and we have 24 hours to to pitch this mm-hmm. and we would appreciate if you come over and and tell us a bit more about what you do in aquaponics because clearly we need to understand how this works before we pitch it and he plain plain flat uh, said no i can't come it's <laughs> here right now i'm not gonna you know just come into a city and and meet you but if you're interested uh, next week come to my lab mm-hmm. in vedensville where i have a research lab mm-hmm. and that's where i met him the first time and it was, I mean, many, many times I, 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 uh, I recall it as a, this come to Jesus moment yeah. too, where you see him in this place, in this lush oasis of fish and vegetables growing in this greenhouse. And it has this urban oasis feel where it's say, this mm-hmm. is where I want to hang out. This is where I want to yeah. see my food grow. And this is where I want to see, you know, a, a space in mm-hmm. cities. So it was very much like... Um, instantaneous felt very good we were clicking 
on several values, I think, in several ways. Uh, we had completely opposite styles of working. Mm-hmm. And um, we did crash a lot or, you know, we had a lot of confrontation to, in terms of the how mm-hmm. and um, the way forward, but we were very much aligned on the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was that was a great, again, another great um, serendipity yeah. that you met somebody that really shares the same mm-hmm. purpose. Yeah, I think you guys really were yin and yang. Yeah complete opposites but yes. complementing each other in a lot of ways yes yes yin and yang is a good it's a good um, and yin and yang also suggests that it's not uh, you know the fringes on the yin and yang creates mm-hmm. the actual maybe the friction and yeah. that's where probably the the cross pollination lies where each has to accept where the strengths are where the right. weaknesses are but also the complementary aspect and um, I really I do I do believe it takes it takes a village to raise a child, but it also <laughs> takes more than one uh, founder to create a company. Yeah. And um, I mean, same, same with you, right? I mean, you had Caroline start up the business with you together. That's right. Yeah, we we're both creative types. I guess we're both copywriters, both in advertising, and it's interesting that I became a writer, and I always thought that writers just sit and type. They just sit alone in a room and they type and they have ideas and they write them down and they turn them into stories, whatever. And what I didn't realize until I got into advertising was that it, you almost always work in a partnership, in an ad agency, in a good ad agency. And um, you always ha- you, I always work better when I have someone to bounce ideas off of and to give me immediate feedback, that kind of immediate feedback you get when you tell somebody something, an idea, and you see their face. And you see whether they get it instantaneously or if it has to be explained and if they, have, if they like it and if they think it's funny or whatever. And so, yeah, I think the partnership is really important. And Carolyn and I had the idea for a cold brew coffee company and found the hub as a place where we could go and do a little startup and see how it works. But like I said, we're both not, well, I'm not an entrepreneurial type and she's not really either. And I mean, we took you on as a, as a council to help us out with <laughs> figuring out what the hell we were doing. Because uh, I think, as you noticed, we had this little cold brew coffee company and we had this really, really nice website, one of the nicest websites, you know, at from a company in the hub. And it had beautiful photography and this great writing and this wonderful brand and no actual product almost. I remember, though, you did <laughs> experiment with product um, samples and you were handing out samples and That's you were true. brewing up your own... Uh, concoctions mm-hmm. of cold brew coffee and and I mean you guys were on the product as well as on the brand and on the on the messaging but of course it was a conceptual cell that was ideally suited to the to the type of people you were creative mm-hmm. agency people who yeah. know about branding and communication mm-hmm. and um, and I remember I mean I do remember Daniel when you were pitching this the first time in open audience and impact up it did feel real like like what you've suggested right. just to me I can honestly tell you uh, tell you back it was suggested a real company a real business opportunity yeah. and um, it was very revealing when you guys pitched for the first time <laughs> I'm glad to hear I, I got to tell you that I guess you know we made it to that level that you did which was with the container farm right that was the the proof of concept the prototype that actually worked and we were able to get to that relatively simply because cold brew coffee cold brew coffee is a pretty simple project 
you know, we just had to figure out the, the ratios and the brewing times and so on and so forth. So yeah, you're right. We were able to do taste tests and get feedback and hand somebody a bottle of our coffee for them to see and drink and experience. And then where we fell down was the ramping up to become an actual drinks producing company. Right. To start a business and beverage. Yeah. Yeah. And we learned pretty quickly that to make it, you know, we were going from, we're borrowing kitchens around, you know, proper restaurant kitchens that we would go to at six in the morning to do our thing, to brew up the coffee and bottle it. That got us in the position to, to, sell, you know, 20 or 30 bottles to a few different cafes or restaurants in Zurich, delivered on my bicycle with <laughs> bicycle bags weighing 5,000 kilos because <laughs> it was in bottles of coffee in glass. Um, but we quickly realized that to ramp up from that to a proper drinks company was going to take 50 to 100,000 francs and a total Easily. rework of our process because sure. we could deliver fresh cold brewed coffee to you in a bottle that had to be refrigerated, but no restaurant could take that because they wanted to treat their drinks like you treat Coca-Cola or Sprite. You just stick it in the basement and just sits there until you need it. And we had this fresh product that it's much more difficult to ramp up like that. So we had to take the, we had to figure out how to get it so that it could have shelf life, which required some kind of uh, uh, pasteurization which is essentially cooking it. Mm. So we had cold brew coffee that would then be cooked, which ruined the flavor and changed the product completely. And we could never get past that. And eventually this startup, our baby, faded away and we just, we gave up. Mm. And then we had a real baby. So that replaced that project. (laughs) We had a daughter and that made it, you know. Interesting. (laughs) Filled that hole. Interesting. So, you know, going back to maybe our, to our original um, podcast, title what were you thinking yeah what were we thinking i mean i think we were thinking that we we like coffee we like well-branded nicely crafted products and we we saw not only the potential of the cold brew world it was blowing up in america for a year or two before we started um but we kind of fell in love with the product and realized that we could do it ourselves and had these these fanciful dreams of being like the cool hipsterish couple who had like a really nicely designed product that was special and felt good and and that we enjoyed as much as our clients and it was half our own love for the product and half this feeling like this wave is coming let's get on top of it let's let's right. be entrepreneurs and and invest the time and, and you know become the biggest cold coffee brew company in Europe Right, and bottle it up and sell it everywhere, and yeah, um, yeah. become the next uh, next gen beverage uh, titan. Yes, exactly. And it was weird because we always had, I think, in the back of our minds, like we don't actually want to be those people. Like we had to deliver coffee to that club that was across uh, across the parking lot from the hub, and we would go in with you know twenty or thirty bottles to to put into their little drinks area. And it was so not like we were the old people at the club (laughs) walking past the line of like 18 year old kids all with their hair done and in the high heels and whatever. And we were like, this is so not our world. And that was another stark realization was that in order to really make this happen, we would have to go to festivals and go to uh, messahalles and, and 
sell the coffee and interface with customers. And that was so counter to everything mm. we're able to do and everything that we like. Mm. So in in a way you were you were thinking you you were thinking this is a cool concept you mm. had uh, developed a high passion for it yeah immediately you saw the opportunity because yep. you came back from the US realizing this is a big trend could mm. work into something very substantial yeah a category leader in let's say cold brew coffee it doesn't <laughs> exist right. Europe yeah, is a wide category. space yeah it's got to be born yeah <clears throat> and then clearly you had. Um, you articulated it clearly. You were um, able to um, bring a product to life, which you know resonated to people who would want to experience cold brew coffee and mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, I can try this. I, I yeah. think this tastes different." Yeah. Um, so in a way, you had all the recipe elements right of the startup. Yes. But then you also said you realized that probably to execute it, mm -hmm. to carry it forward beyond, let's say, the the pilot or the proof of concept, would require you to become really business people and turn into a, a yeah. real business requires finance and right we and always then, struggled with the finance yeah. so much how to track it what it means yeah. how to do it better yeah and yeah we went through several different partners uh businessy people like you who had been in the business world and knew how to track stuff like that and what it all meant we had we went through a couple of people who helped us with that and helped they were able to help us but we never we never got it to work like it's supposed to work where you have projections and, and an idea of how much income you'll make and that was really tough for us because mm. we we only ever wanted to find somebody to do it for us mm. we couldn't pay anybody we didn't have any money to pay yeah. and people would donate an hour or two but we really needed somebody regular yeah, i think you i think we would categorize you guys as more as the inventors yes yes and I was more the innovator. I mm -hmm. I came in with an idea, yeah. Um, but uh, I really brought it to fruition as, let's mm -hmm. say, you know, I was able to innovate and bring it to market. Whereas right. you guys were an inventor mm -hmm. of an idea of a concept, had a certain concept form ready in a pilot or prototype, but you then stopped innovating or developing a right. business. And that was basically step one of the innovator's journey, right? Yes, exactly. And and um, and as you said, the, the step one is uh, has its own challenges, but you tick those boxes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then step two has a completely set of new challenges, yeah. which require all the different skill sets. And um, That's right. And maybe are also part of serendipity again. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, how much can we say is part of our doing and how much has just been the incredible luck yeah, of yeah. just, you know, being a right time, right moment. Mm -hmm. I remember most of our investors who contributed early in the business, we didn't find them. They found us. Yeah. All my business partners, the way I think the good ones, found me. I didn't find them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the employees we recruited in the early phase up until very much into the growth phase were, were always pitching us. Yeah. We That's, always found people the way they approached us. Right. From investors to business partners to employees, the really good people we found and we met on our journey were always coming coming our way. Yeah. That's something I've struggled with in, in my whole creative life, which is how hard should I work and how much should I sit back and let the good stuff, the universe decide and come yeah. to us? That's a fantastic question. And it's... We have this this notion of, of entrepreneurs as like you have to work 20 hours a day and you have to be in your cold garage and uncomfortable and constantly uh, selling and hacking and hustling. But there is so much serendipity 
in this biz. And it's so hard to tell where it is and how to find it. I mean, I guess if you knew where to find it, it wouldn't be serendipity. Yeah. There's this great quote of, uh, it was some race car driver. He said, I'm a great believer in luck and I find the harder I work, the more luck I have. True. And I subscribe to that. Yeah, I think you really did. I mean, you did it. You went to the startup weekend and you had the idea and you made that phone call to your engineering partner. Yeah, you made your own serendipity in a lot of ways. True, and I buy that. I also like Mike Tyson's quote, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched into the face. Yeah, right, (laughs) exactly. So it's clear that uh, you can do a lot of plans, you can do a lot of hustling. At the end of the day, it's can you sustain that punch yeah. It starts to hurt That's and right. where yeah. it starts to really get um, uh, tricky and you're kind of tipping. Yeah, um, yeah. we were going to be the biggest cold brew coffee manufacturer right. on the planet and until we got punched in the face by the realities <laughs> of production. <laughs> <laughs> and carrying stuff around with your bicycle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. been there, done that. Um, look, I think, you know, the, the fact that this is such a difficult question where people struggle and, mm-hmm. you know, both you and I, it's fair to say we've, we, we, um, We've put this, these businesses to bed, right? And we've moved on. We did other things, and um, we are still in the creative space of creating ideas and concepts, and, and for me also for businesses. Mm. I think it's fair to say that this is a is a question that um, where the jury is still out, right? Where I would say there is no game plan or answer to you know, yeah. how do you make it work? Is it just hustling and work, or is it yeah. actually? Yes, you have to be appreciating of the things that can happen and come your way. Mm-hmm. And those are not entirely predictable. That's true. I, I think it, it it's it's a function of your outlook on life. If you're looking towards a goal and you you create a sense of failure or success <coughs> based on that goal, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to is to say, I wake up every morning and I do this thing. And sometimes it goes this way and sometimes it goes that way. But who am I really and what am I trying to do? And can I keep at it? And I think both of us have this creative bent that bottom line, whether our startups go belly up or are wildly successful, we're going to keep getting up and doing the same thing because that's who we are at our core. I love that. I love that uh, notion of getting up and still doing it, pounding mm-hmm. it, and still realizing that there's a high probability of failure. Yeah. Very high probability. In, yes. in in innovation, in innovation, in creating. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of um, of accepting that and getting up every morning right. and still feeling great about it. Yeah. Uh, it does it does um, suggest that and we talked about it before in our um, before we met here, that uh, you take some uh, pounding and it does take a strength, mm-hmm. physical, mental strength to do that and yeah. continue to do that over a very long time. Yeah. Uh, because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, it's a marathon with in, with um, with sprints in between. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that's true. So, uh, what's the recipe for that? What's what's the? Is there a, a game plan for how to sustain that? I think good smoothies, like we were talking about before, right? <laughs> good smoothies, <laughs> but good sponsors. Right, right, that was the sound check. Is how do we make smoothies <laughs> that actually taste good? Um, well, yeah, that's that's the age old question, isn't it? How do you stay motivated and keep getting up out of bed every morning? To be honest, I think you can design for that in a way that you can make it easier on yourself mm-hmm. or you can make it a bit harder on yourself. Yeah. Like we talked before about, you know, being physically fit, mm-hmm. you know, having enough sleep and being able to do the heavy lifting yeah. of of your job or your role and over a long time. Yeah. 
Um, that's definitely one prerequisite. What about for you? What about um, friendships and and people who nurture you in terms of your, you know, self-esteem and who you mm-hmm, are as a mm-hmm. person? Do you think that's that's a good part of the success formula as well? I do, and I think, uh, like I said, with writing, I always had this idea that it's just one man or woman solitude with a computer or a typewriter. And of course, that's not true. You can't do it in a vacuum. And I struggle with it because I want to be, my instinct is to be uh, introverted and not have a lot of interaction and meet a lot of people. I find it, I'm one of those people who gets tired at parties from the interaction. And so I try to avoid that instinctually. But I also find that I'm happier after I have a good conversation with interesting people. And I, I actually do enjoy afterwards meeting people. Hmm. And so and my wife, Carolyn, is the same way. Like We're both introverted at heart or at our core, but we get energized by meeting other people. And if, as we've discussed many times, you, the only way to get feedback is to show things to people and talk about it and discuss it. And so much like exercise, I have to force myself to do it because if I was left to my own devices, I think I would just be on the couch <laughs> yeah, <same> here, <laughs> listening to podcasts or whatever. And uh, it's, it's Carolyn and I always say like, I have to go running today. I don't want to go running. It's cold outside. I, it, I'm tired. I, blah, 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 blah. And we get back and it's like, I feel so much better. This always happens. Why did I even hesitate? I knew I should know that it will make me feel better. And forcing yourself to do those uncomfortable things because you know that there's they're going to have a positive outcome is is well that's a habit right that's well it's not a habit it, it's it's something you have to do and for me the best strategy is to turn it into a habit correct so you, i don't have to think about it anymore <clears throat> i just get up in the morning and go running i haven't achieved that by the way that's that's what i'm shooting for mm. but uh that's the answer i think is mm. to do figure out what you need to do and then try to make it so that you can do it without even thinking about it. So Daniel, for you, what, what would be the kind of, what would be the kind of stories you'd like to hear on, um, what were you thinking when think, you, when you look out and say, what would be the right type of, what could be a cool story that excites you about? Yeah. For me, I, I'm most interested in that, in that, that moment when the fly lands on your shoulder and, and has, and brings you the idea because everybody who's done anything that I find interesting had that moment and then had the moments afterwards where you have to persist and, and keep fighting. And, you know, it, the idea was this. And then all these years later, it, w- it turned out to actually be this. And that's what was successful and interesting and fun. And so that transition and that uh, spark is what's most interesting to me. And everybody has that, whether you are the leader of a Fortune 500 company or just some schmo at his writing desk trying to write something so we can pay his rent. I love that. I think that's a great that's a that's a great sweet spot where I think the the conversation yeah should be about, right? I think how, we should keep how, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you create those sort of moments of epiphany or of serendipity and how mm-hmm. do you how do you take them forward? Mm-hmm. And emotionally also to um maybe pause on those situations where the fly lands on mm-hmm. your shoulder 
and to contemplate it a bit more yeah, realize it's happening yeah and being a bit more let's say conscious about these mm -hmm. moments that that would be really nice if we could um could could bring those forth i think so too and and like we talked about earlier if the goal of your life becomes to have those moments and move them forward as opposed to i'm not going to be happy until i sell my company for 500 million dollars stupid Right. Yeah, yeah, stupid, unlikely, mm -hmm. yeah. actually unfulfilling. Yeah. But if you can find a way to, if I can find a way to focus on those moments and and have those more often, mm -hmm. I think that will make me a happier, more productive person. I think that's why I like writing so much because whether I'm trying to write a novel or just the next headline, it's always the same thing at its core, which is trying to bring an idea into ex into manifestation with words in my case and to watch the words appear on the screen and then rewrite them and reread them and and when it hits when it, it's when it's well written and funny and interesting that's i've never smoked crack but that's what i imagine crack feels like <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't smoked crack either, but maybe that's why we're sitting here and yeah, talking exactly. about this. <laughs> Does it make it an explicit podcast if we talk about smoking crack on the? It's actually it's actually not about crack, but we talk yeah, exactly. a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, it's not what were you smoking? It's what were you thinking? I um, love that. Yeah, what were you smoking? No, um, but then we should also talk about the emotional undercurrent, right? Of what happens yes. when you when you are in this type of situations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, would you say that it's it's fair to say that it's um it's those are very vulnerable moments to speak about or talk about in a way, or are they more, you know, grand and? Yeah, I think it's it's probably different for everybody. I mean, having worked in advertising, where you know your day to day business is just generating idea after idea after idea, I know that for me, I'm not vulnerable in that moment. But I'm also not, you know, standing on the on the the canyon wall, like looking out into the horizon. But I have a pretty good feeling for when I have an idea that is a good idea and can go somewhere. What's vulnerable is the idea itself, yeah. because it comes out in whatever form it comes out in, and you have it. It's in front of you and you're cradling it like a, ba a newborn baby. And the question is, what will happen to it? Because so much in the world can kill it. Mm. And you have to figure out or decide, is it worth fighting for? Is it, is it if you're going to fight for it, how are you going to fight for it? What's the right way forward? And I guess the vulnerability comes in for me. The hard part is not knowing what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I have this idea, I think it's good, but I don't know what form it takes for it to be really to really come into fruition. Right. And and the fear of rejection or for example of being flat out laughed at or mm -hmm. not being taken serious. Yeah. I mean, do you do you agree that that is sort of a um thing to contemplate or look in the eye? It is, but I also think that also is is so individual i think you can't survive in a world like advertising if you're too sensitive about rejection mm -hmm. so i quickly learned to be fine with people saying i don't like that mm -hmm. and then it comes back to me and i get to decide whether i push it forward mm -hmm. or just let it go mm -hmm. but 
in a business where it's idea after idea after idea, that's okay because it's it's becomes a bit of a numbers game. Yeah, yeah. And that's I, okay. I, see, I get that. But the I get hard that part... intellectually, but I, I let's say emotionally, I still struggle with it. Absolutely. But yeah. I because I tend to get married with I, with my ideas. Mm-hmm. And right. I, you know. Yeah. And uh, as you said, you called it your baby. Mm-hmm. I, I do. We did call it our our baby as well. Yeah. On D and I, and I think we were very much in love and. Mm-hmm. You know, felt that it's our creation, and as such, it's part of us mm-hmm. as but, person, as people, and as basically as, yeah. But this it's, is where it gets really interesting because, in the in the in my advertising world, where I'm creating all these ideas, they're disposable in a sense. I mean, I got to find a good one eventually, but I can let them go, and it's no skin off my back. I don't lose money or anything. But you guys got to this point where you had this real functioning business with farms in different cities, and. <clears throat> That adds this whole layer of pressure that, I mean, you're responsible for people's salaries. You're responsible for trying to get this idea off the ground and then onto the next step. So what were you thinking then? I mean, you had all this stuff going on and you were trying to make it work. Yeah, it adds to the, let's say, it adds to the um, to the baggage of, let's say, feeling responsible for. Mm-hmm. But I cannot, I, I could not agree with you that this level of let's say responsibility actually has put more weight on the fact that I really wanted this idea to be preserved and, yeah. and be kept forward. <clears throat> okay. So for me, really, the the big the big idea was to prove that it works. And if I when I when I started to implement and I saw that it did work, mm-hmm. then it just started to be a commercial responsibility to carry it through yeah. and see see to fruition. You know, some level of sustainable you know level of operational mm-hmm. um, performance where you could say no it, it drives on its own yeah where uh, whereas in the beginning the first the first phase of creating and developing it and then also um, making a you know manifesting it that was really the moment where it was very much I was very defensive for the idea to be rooted and to to gain uh, mm-hmm to gain uh, understanding. And that's where I really was adamant about it and was like, you know, fighting for it. Yeah. Um, later on, when I discovered that it's, 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 uh, it, it, it is working and it has traction and it does work the way we want it to be. Yeah. And yes, it still creates a lot of resources and it's actually more than we anticipate and, you know, takes exponentially more money to, to build it and to, uh, to scale it. That was a moment where, yes, the, let's say the, the responsibilities was greater, mm-hmm. but the actual satisfaction for me to working on it was reducing. Was reduced, oh, really? Yes, because the proof of concept and the, uh, let's say, the innovation was born and mm-hmm. the, the level I saw the idea fly was, for me, very, very much tick the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early stages when the fly landed and I was still able to articulate it without other people seeing it, that's where I really saw the... The fight still being very much alive, you know. I wanted to yeah. really make sure that people wouldn't bury it, or mm-hmm. you wanted to prove it. it. You wanted yes. to prove that it would work. Yes, this is a thing, yeah, and it can work. Yes, so I was very much emotionally much more engaged on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the later stage, I was less emotionally engaged, but let's say more um, busy. Yeah, functionally yes. engaged. Yeah, you know, day-to-day more activities, busy. and yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. So. Um, who would you say is a good could be a good um, interview partner for what were you thinking? If you had to bring up somebody, you would say 
yeah. next episode, who would who would be our next interview partner? I think I'd like to go. I'd like to do both sides of the scale. Like I'd like to invite somebody who I just meet at a bus stop, mm-hmm. who has like a quote regular life unquote. But then I'd also that. yeah, I'd also like to talk to uh, someone like George Karen, who was this the CEO of IWC, who I've done some advertising work for, because he he's this big famous guy in the world of watches and he turned IWC in a, in a direction like he steered this huge ship and it was successful in many ways and some people didn't like it but I would love to talk to somebody like him because he was in charge of this big thing and he did this big thing so I I want to make a contrast draw the contrast and the parallels between two people like that mm-hmm. wonderful I see and I see the I see many parallels right yeah, totally. If we could distill that, what's actually the the same thing of you know what were you thinking mm-hmm. of a random person we meet at a bus stop and yes. somebody who's highly accomplished as a as a business person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that would be very interesting. Yeah. And who would you think is our audience in terms of who should listen to this podcast to? In well, as we discussed earlier, we're going to start with our wives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, so that's Carolyn an audience and Martina. <laughs> that's a lot of writing on you listening to this right now. Um, I think uh, that's a good question. Who is our audience? Because you know, like we always talk about who sh- who's the target audience, who are we talking to? I think anybody who wants to create something uh, and get better at creating that something can learn something from the people who have done it over yeah. and over again. Who we and and I think I would add to that that everybody who is a creator and an innovator and is not shy of listening inside mm-hmm. and, and discovering also about how that felt and how that was... Yes how that was uh, emotionally uh, yeah. evolving. I think that self-discovery process of innovators and creators would be very mm-hmm. nice to uh, to bring to the table. That's right. And th- there's a wonderful thing that happens in a podcast, which is you get to live inside someone else's head for a little while. Same thing with reading or even movie watching, I suppose. But I want to talk to these Steve Jobs-like people and get in their heads and understand a little bit about what they were thinking, but also see how what they're thinking is not necessarily so different than what I'm thinking just yes. as a regular old guy yes. and that moment of the fly as we called it where yes. the fly just sits on your shoulder and you're mm-hmm. looking at it you're contemplating what is this Yeah, clearly not coming from my own head but sitting yeah. here now mm-hmm. that moment where the idea gets made and kind of you know the neutrons in your head start to connect <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very interested how those how those moments get articulated, mm-hmm. and how and 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 why they were brought forward, and then how they're acted upon because mm-hmm. that's yeah what separates that makes it re- real right yeah that makes it turns it into reality exactly mm-hmm. yeah I think we have a good concept here this is great we should yeah this is the self congratulatory <laughs> what were you thinking podcast how great. are we doing on time like, I think we're almost done are we almost so okay. we should wrap up. All right. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you, Roman. First it was session. a pleasure, as always. Love it. Yeah.